You are listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, a podcast created by the University of Edinburgh to debate and celebrate learning and teaching in higher education. This podcast complements the university's Teaching Matters blog and invites students and staff to engage in topical conversation. Episodes 12 to 14 accompany the Teaching Matters mini-series on inclusivity in the curriculum. In this episode, episode 13, Diva Mukherjee, Katie Nicole Baines, Rosie Taylor and Diljit Bachu continue their conversation from, from episode 12 about embedding inclusivity and diversity in the curriculum. They debate about who is responsible for ensuring the curriculum is generally diverse and inclusive and reflect on the emotional labour this generates for both staff and students. Happy listening! Hello again, welcome back to podcast number two. Yeah! (laughs) So hopefully you listened to the podcast previously where we were talking about um, understanding ideas of diversity and inclusion, what those kind of mean within higher education and the University of Edinburgh more specifically, what are the possible limitations of the term, of those terms, and how we need to be able to, what a curriculum review can possibly do to actually embed ideas of diversity and inclusion in a way that is meaningful and impactful, particularly for people from marginalized groups. Um, But in this episode, we'll be talking more around the labor and the work that people need to do to be able to create what is an actual diverse and inclusive um, curriculum and what that looks like, because I think often people kind of like misconstrue misconstrue these ideas um, and then assume that one group will be doing that kind of work and it'll be fine. Um, So it'll be really interesting to get panelists' opinions on what kind of work that the university could possibly be doing or kind of investing in to actually develop an inclusive and diverse curriculum. So should we just do a quick round of introductions so everyone knows who's here again? Mm. I'm Diva, the Mukherjee, the, vice, the current Vice President of Education with the Students Association. Um, I'm Rosie, I'm a second year student and I study biology and I am this year's, as of Monday, um, <laughs> LGBT oh. officer, which is really exciting. Hi, I'm Katie, I'm a project manager based in the School of Chemistry running a research group that is looking at growing the big grant club so trying to understand why there are not more women and minorities leading big grants in the engineering and physical sciences and our research group is called evidence base hi um, i'm diljeet i have recently just finished my phd here at the university of edinburgh in music um looking at issues around um access to opportunity for music education through teachers and curriculum and um, I also am working as a lecturer in a few institutions and also run an arts organisation and I'm a working musician and trade union activist. Wonderful. Welcome back everyone. So I think now it'll be quite interesting to get your opinions on, particularly when you're thinking about creating inclusive and diverse curriculum, who should be doing this work? Because we kind of touched on that previously, but I think at least in my experience of like being a student... Um, being a liberation officer, now being a sabbatical officer. Obviously, I'm a representative of students, so I'm a bit biased. But it's been really fantastic to see the work that students have been doing in pushing forward this agenda and making sure that it is on people's radars. But also what's been interesting is how students are creating their own autonomous learning groups and stuff like that outside the university. And they're kind of self-organizing these networks because they feel like they're not getting this sort of uh, radical decolon- decolonial education. They're not getting that from the university, so they're building their own spaces, which I think is really, really like quite an interesting phenomenon as well. But when we're thinking about who needs to be doing this work, both ethically and also just practically, um, given the demographics of the university, who do you think should be kind of like doing this work or pushing forward this work? Should it rest on students or staff members? Because I think, Katie, you touched on previously about the fact that staff members didn't feel comfortable even speaking about this because of various 
dynamics at play where staff, where many staff members don't feel safe talking about these issues very, very publicly. So how do we kind of push this work forward and make sure that this is kind of like an institutional drive rather than unfortunately what is often just like the piecemeal work that activists can do whilst at university but then they leave and what happens mm-hmm. to that work? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, as a, as a new higher education lecturer, mm-hmm. um, and I've got a, a sort of a long background as, a, as an educator and facilitator, um, it's my responsibility as the mm-hmm. educator. I don't think it should be the student's responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's great that they're doing it, but they've mm-hmm. got enough to do, mm-hmm. frankly. And, and like you say, cohorts of students leave. I feel like it is a staff level, mm-hmm. institutional level is where the responsibility mm-hmm. lies. And that carries to me as an individual, as someone teaching. But ideally, it would not fall to me as the only woman of colour in the faculty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, think, to be doing I, I, yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting question because I think that uh, it's like supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about like toilet paper in <laughs> supermarkets or like, I know, salad at your local little. It's kind of like a more, it's a much more like uh, nuanced and difficult to like... Um, gather information on who wants mm-hmm. what necessarily because it's sometimes almost hard to articulate what you feel is missing mm-hmm. if you especially if you've never had it which a lot of people coming here mm-hmm. won't have had mm-hmm. um that kind of uh, education and now they're kind of not mm-hmm. really sure what they're looking for um i think that it like and i i'm sort of coming in it i should say like from a uh, a viewpoint of like coming to university and being very involved like in the second half of my first year and then throughout my second year this time in sort of like mental health advocacy and working with um, students that um, are interested in like well-being but increasingly more and more students that come to university and disclose a mental health condition or long-term disability and I feel that a lot of the, the, the sort of talk that we have about the curriculum and the kinds of role models and representation that we see um, and the visibility of mental illness is, is a really interesting topic, not a good topic because it's mm. terrible and destroys things, but it, it's kind of, it's something that is discussed quite a lot in um, whether visibility is really possible with those kinds of aspects of things and, and seeing um, people like you, people that go through the same kinds of experiences as you really succeeding and having that um, clear and being shown like, actually, you know, I can do this and I can live with this, but I can still do good, not despite it, with it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it's been really interesting. And I think that a lot of the conversations that I've had with staff have been very difficult for me personally in terms of like the emotional labor that you have mm-hmm. to do to um, explain and validate what you're asking for and um, but also like just really annoying and frustrating mm-hmm. when you ask for something really clearly and then you're given something that they think you want mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's where the like the um the where it's coming from like where these ideas are presented from where we like get these new initiatives from has to kind of lie somewhere between the two because you need to know what students want and need and what at the moment is changing in um especially even in the generation if it's like a, a gap then it, it's about knowing what at the moment feels current and feels important and feels really vital to those people. And at the same time, being able to, as an, as, as an academic, as an educator, look at something and be like, how do I teach this? Mm-hmm. How do I embed that in a way that is actually helpful and structurally integral and will like last, won't just kind of be something that we phase in for like a year mm-hmm. and then we're like, oh, that didn't really work very well. We're going to get rid of it. It's really interesting. And I, I felt that um, my own experience really with like, embedding things into the curriculum has been very limited um because i don't under i don't have the privilege or like the access to the information about how necessarily it works Mm -hmm. and that sometimes is because staff don't tell you because Mm -hmm. they don't want to change yeah Yeah. Mm 
Yeah, I think you picked up on some really good points in terms of who who has the power to actually mm. change things. And the university has a responsibility to place someone who is in power and give them that responsibility. Mm. So the vice principal framework within the university is currently being restructured. Mm -hmm. And we have lost our equality and diversity mm -hmm. vice principal mm -hmm. who is moving mm -hmm. to another university. And it's not clear that somebody will take over that responsibility. The principal um, had made clear that equality should be everyone's business. Yeah. And yeah. this is, this is this, when you mainstream something like that, mm. when it's everyone's business, no one does no anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, you have to be, there has to be the person in the room. If what no one person has responsibility for this, it yeah. gets lost. Um, and it's 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 just not going to be taken mm -hmm. taken mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to draw a few parallels that I've appreciated from talking from so learning that there are students organizing mm -hmm. and educating themselves suggests to me that there is huge wisdom there mm -hmm. that the university is overlooking and not valuing. Yeah. And this reminds me of things that have happened within within the sphere of medical research. So in the history of, of treatment for AIDS. It was the patient population that demanded treatment and demanded to the end of the use of placebos in order to further treatment um, gains and information. And it was their campaigning and their activism that led to the real strides mm. in AIDS research. Mm. And it was the recognition that the wisdom was in the patient community. And the same thing is happening in ME research. Mm -hmm. People with ME are the experts because the scientists um, and the medical professionals are not doing the right research and they're not listening to the right people. They're not listening mm -hmm. to the patient community. And I can see a massive parallel here mm -hmm. in that the students are crying out for better mm -hmm. curriculum and they yeah. are creating it themselves yeah. by the sounds yeah. of it and so not to sound too radical but maybe they should be the ones getting paid for it i yeah. do i do think that's the, exactly the point yeah. and like i uh i am so aware that like when i involve myself in like activism and in, in being that person sometimes to like we talked about in the last episode be the person in the room mm -hmm. be the person that feels like the awkward person to bring something up I'm, I'm aware that when I do that I benefit from a lot of different privileges and a lot of different ways in which I'm actually listened to and validated and people trust what I'm saying without me needing mm -hmm. to go an extra mile that I should not mm -hmm. have to travel but it, it is so true that even in knowing that it is in a mass it is a massive emotional labor mm -hmm. and it's also something that you do on top of your degree and you don't get mm -hmm. recognition for and for students often the most marginalized to be doing that work when they are already struggling in so many ways that are so unique to them and to their identity and are constantly having to feel like they may be having to put an extra 20 percent mm -hmm. which is something that is really so common in students and students with disabilities mm -hmm. students who are like having financial troubles, students who are coming from abroad, who maybe don't speak English as a first language, it's that extra percentage that you have to mm -hmm. put in to feel like you're even on par with yeah. everyone else. I, th I think with yeah. that, like with that kind of theme, I'm always kind of reminded of like, I think of how students of mar students within marginalized communities, when we're creating these autonomous spaces outside of the university and stuff like that, we do so because we feel like we need to create this community and we feel like there's that, there's that inherent need or respect that there needs to be care when we're talking about these issues and that this needs to be kind of like a community focused supportive issue in which it's kind of like we're focused on learning and bettering ourselves and not necessarily it's not like a competition to see who knows the most mm -hmm. and I think that is such an interesting dynamic when you compare it to what you were speaking about in the last episode Katie about the very like individualist notion of academia where it was it is your cis 
um, straight white man who knows everything and he's kind of like that person has that power and that person has that knowledge and it's about them whereas I think these spaces that people are creating um, marginalized people are creating outside the university it's very much focused on like community healing and it's not it's maybe not explicitly that it's not necessarily based on that but it's about learning about our histories and our cultures because we know we're not going to get that from anywhere else mm. but I think what everyone's kind of touched on as well which is really interesting which is a, is that idea of responsibility like whose responsibility is it and I know Dilji you were talking about in, as an educator you feel like it is your responsibility to be able to do that but and I think that is a very interesting dynamic when we're thinking about maybe more senior management of universities and of institutions of kind of like that central institution where is the responsibility there or like what is that responsibility because I think particularly with a university as large as this there needs to be given the responsibility and the autonomy to people within their own disciplines to kind of create that yeah. what a diverse and what a decolonized curriculum is whatever terms people want to use but then how is that being supported as like a university as like an institutional priority and I think that's where I always see this kind of like there's that there's a break where you have people who are saying that diversity and inclusion supporting these initiatives should be everyone's everyone's responsibility but then it's no one's mm -hmm. and then I like I do kind of feel for the SABs and the liberation officers coming in next year because we at least have those people who we could go to where we're like listen this is something that we need to work on whereas for next year it's gonna be a lot more unclear so I feel like where do we kind of like leave that responsibility mm -hmm. is it with senior management of different institutions and if so wh what does that responsibility look like is that yeah. providing funding is that providing um spaces where um, students and staff can come together where they're paid to do this kind of work i think or what yeah i think it, it has to be a conversation about what's needed i think sometimes what it can be missing from a large institution with so many different like cogs mm -hmm. whirring around is that students get so disillusioned with the yeah. institution as a whole that they don't know where to ask they don't know who to ask and they don't know how to ask it mm -hmm. and they don't even if they should really yeah. mm -hmm. and that's really difficult and I think that actually there needs to be much more communication between university um, committees higher ups mm. um, kind of circles of power and students about okay so we hear that you need this thing maybe we can't do that thing we can offer you this yeah. how can we negate yeah. like how can we negotiate that because otherwise just saying a flat out no is just so invalidating yeah even that yeah. point around committees because you obviously Rosie mm. you um, <laughs> sit on um, the quality and diversity committee for your school yeah. for your college uh, yeah, school and then some, sometimes college. I feel school like as a student, I'm never really, I'm never really mm. sure whether I'm meant to be there. But you're, but you're there, and that's what's yeah. important. So it's really interesting that your school and your college has that structure, whereas yeah. the university does not have an equality and diversity yeah. committee. Um, they have yeah. a people committee that's very much HR focused and focused only on staff. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where they will maybe discuss issues around kind of like Athena Swan and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But there's no committee that actually discusses the... Um, experiences of marginalized yeah. students and what those experiences actually mean at a university like strategic level mm -hmm. and I'm not saying committees fix anything but well, I, mean, <laughs> I mean like I know you won't do it yourself but you should like to your own horn a little bit and the fact that like there is a really and I know you're talking about the different communities that exist mm -hmm. already and there is a really amazing really strong com um, community of people of color in yeah. Edinburgh and it, it it's small and it's small and it should yeah. be because there should be more students coming there yeah. should be more students engaging and it's and I'm aware that it's not a space for me, but I think it's a brilliant space that has been yeah. created and it's been supported by you and by sabbatical mm. officers and by people just acting in solidarity to try and be like, okay, this is a really good thing that's happening. Yeah. What can we do to support it? And actually, sometimes maybe um, the university kind of putting a finger in that pie might mm. actually be devaluing yeah. the community aspect. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. um, so maybe it's listening to those communities, mm. taking into account what they're saying 
I will really briefly say that like one of the things, the main things I want to do next year, I went to the Disabled Students Forum last year and found it really, really helpful to have a communication and a dialogue with the university about what they're doing mm-hmm. to benefit students with minority identities. Mm-hmm. And uh, do we like it? Do we not like it? Do we hate yeah. it? Most of the answers were that we hated it, um, which is fine. It's good to be critical. And I want to do the same um, this year with LGBT students and just create a space for like celebration, but actually to force allyship to be more than just performative, yeah. to force action. And I think that maybe um, that's where university uh, committees and boards and decision makers need to mm. be like, okay, we've ticked the box by having the voice in the room, but are we listening mm. to the voice? And yeah. what are we taking from that that's yeah. valuable? Yeah. Yeah. I only found out recently that I think ECA has an Equality Diversity Committee. I had no idea they're that very, it even yeah. existed. They're very, they're very, very, yeah. very, very I think very, I remember yeah. seeing something about a paper and I was like, oh, if we had one and I'd known, I would have mm-hmm. used some of my labour to yeah. to contribute. I, so like on a very brief note, I think so. Uh, my school literally, and this is why I was a studentship. Very lucky, but my school just hired an officer to to work for the committee mm. to communicate strategy more effectively to staff and students and like wow. pr- promote outreach. Mm. And like that's a really good step. And um, it, it but it also it it. I hate having to frame it in a way of being like, oh, it's viable for you guys mm, and it's profitable. Yeah. But it is because the yeah. university will get such a, a big benefit from having that like communication. Mm-hmm. And like, it shouldn't have to be framed that yeah. way to be funded. But When I talked about responsibility, I suppose part of that in my head, I'm trying to make sure my head is coming out clearly in words out loud, is, is that I come from a background of community facilitation. Mm-hmm. And for me, that responsibility going into classrooms, but also thinking about the wider structural things as you move up towards mm-hmm. management is about the role the, the responsibility to facilitate support and hold mm-hmm. and enable work to happen and I suppose there's like a little a little sort of proposal almost forming in my head about well the the staff are the ones who are salaried mm-hmm. or at least the ones who are on permanent proper contracts not the casual precarious ones but you know the staff who are in positions of power have the stability the support the infrastructure ideally they have the workload errors, but that's a bigger mm-hmm. issue. Workload allocation models, oh my goodness. Um, but you know, if that's something, if we're thinking about reform, then in order to do a proper mm-hmm. curriculum review, mm-hmm. you need to have mm-hmm. the resource to do it. So mm-hmm. thinking about all of those things combined, that for me, staff responsibility is about the responsibility to listen to the mm-hmm. student body. Mm-hmm. I think that it, to, it, it, to support and hold yeah. it. And to have them, so for, I mean, an idea for me would be having these student, these autonomous student mm-hmm. spaces and groups and communities direct the work and almost project manage like the staff to do it yeah. <laughs> I, think that's a, I was just going to say two things that may potentially be contradictory um, so bear with one is something that my partner routinely t- says to me that makes me flinch because I, I, I hate the concepts of money and capitalism um, but it's this notion of following the money um, and seeing where the power lies as a result but I think that also something to be aware of both from the perspective of the people that want change to happen and the people that have the power to change um, but also recognizing that the conversation about whether or not it is valuable for the university to make these changes should be over yeah. there is proof yeah. a, a plenty that making a place more diverse and inclusive makes it more productive more more economically valuable in so many ways that it's 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 almost exhausting that we keep having to justify mm. it um, so in that respect, the money has been followed and it is more profitable. So if, mm-hmm. if you buy into capitalism, <laughs> equality actually fosters capitalism. Yeah. Uh, as a contrary point to that, 
something that I think is probably goes against a lot of capitalist principles is the notion of trying to examine the toxicity of hierarchy that we have in the university. Mm. I'm incredibly lucky that in my research group recently we were discussing having name badges made um, for each member of the team mm-hmm. um, and I was asking what job roles I should put yeah. under people's names and eventually um, after suge- one suggestion being we should all just have the term project team mm-hmm. member mm-hmm. Um, under our names it was settled on that we just put nothing under our names mm-hmm. because actually um, the different roles and the potential hierarchy that is implied yeah. within the team shouldn't be relevant yeah. to the to our ability to talk about what we're doing mm. and and yes different people have different qualifications they might talk about things in different ways but that doesn't make their contribution mm. any less valid um, and so we need to be examining these hierarchies within the university that actually don't foster change yeah. that just prop up continual inequality mm. um, yeah. and this is something that I've learned a lot about from from organizing in activist spaces mm. is that this community responsibility and community enterprise mm-hmm. has to happen on a very flat level yeah. where every voice is valid yeah, yeah. I but think that's such an important point because I think that really ties into a lot of particularly staff student dynamics as well yeah. where I think a lot of students are also creating their own networks yeah. because of that power relationship that's there and I think it's it's fantastic when you have a staff member who's like super sound and like tries to break that down but that's not always the case yeah. and I think what you also kind of touched on there like the idea of justification of oh the equality and diversity initiatives will be good for you they'll look good for you when it's just wild to have to do that because the alternative is like i get this all the time when i'm speaking about curricula it's like bme students are dropping out of university because they're so alienated but it'll look really good for you if you like include one black author to your reading list and you're like these are so these are such stark parallels but i think people who don't belong to these groups become so desensitized to these conversations because they don't need to see Mm -hmm. it all the time. And I think that ties into my next point, which is I think people have kind of mentioned the idea of disillusionment quite a lot, particularly I I think we can probably safely say that all of us are maybe slightly disillusioned with the institutions or the groups that we work with because it's very tiring doing this kind of doing this kind of work when you're working within an institution that maybe doesn't regard it in the same way. And I think when so when we were doing the BME thematic review, which is this big review process the university is doing um, to understand the experiences of BME students. Um, what I think was really, really telling from some of the workshops that I helped facilitate was um, a lot of students were like, we've been saying this for years, and I completely understand that. It's like, we've been saying the same, the things that were coming up in that workshop, in those workshops, are the same things that I've been hearing for the past five years. And what's really, really upsetting is that these students are still willing to spend their time and come and platform this just because they hope that something will finally change or like the penny will finally drop for someone and be like, oh, this is important. How frustrating yeah. is that though when yeah. when you are saying the same thing over and over again and being like, this is my experience, listen to it and believe exactly. it. And yeah. then like suddenly someone picks it up and they're like, oh, look at this idea that we've come up with. Exactly. What do you think about it? And it's yeah. like, well... This is this is the thing that's been going on, and like mm-hmm. now you're paying attention to it, yeah. and then it's hard to work productively with that idea because yeah. you're like, well, this is this yeah. this is actually mine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, how do you kind of? I would say a lot of like particularly people from marginalized groups who are trying to fight for um, equality and diversity initiatives within um, either the departments or the areas, whatever that may be. How do you kind of remove that element of disillusionment? Because I think 
you also kind of hear of like things like the leaky pipeline where it's like women and BME students are mm-hmm. so much more likely, so much, sorry, less likely to progress within higher education kind of like levels because of how alienating it is and how like hard it is to be in these spaces. But we also recognize how important it is, how it is to have that kind of like representation at like senior levels of academia and whatnot. So it's like, but how do you remove that element of disillusionment and where does yeah. that responsibility, does that again come back to like university senior management of kind of like putting in that work to yeah. make sure that students' voices are, students and staff voices are heard? I think it, yeah. it's, kind, it's, kind of, it's kind of where you start, like because mm-hmm. it, it, it is like a competitive cycle really that... Mm-hmm. It, it's like is it the chicken or the egg do you get people engaged first or do you have to do something to get people engaged yeah. but how do you get people engaged if they're not engaging mm-hmm. with what you're doing so mm-hmm. it, it is so like ridiculous like the, the sort of or hard to organize and hard to like put onto a piece of paper and like do a flowchart and make a plan because it's not that simple mm-hmm. and because people are always coming from different points that it's like it's very it's a very tough thing to tackle I think that the uh, a big thing that the university should be using more um is the voices uh, championing the voices of the people within the university mm-hmm. that actually are being critical mm-hmm. and saying mm-hmm. like we've listened to this yeah. and um, we know that it was maybe not right we know that what we do wasn't good enough how can we take something that's critical respond and acknowledge it first of all but then create something structurally that says we know what we've done mm-hmm. here's what we're going to do instead mm-hmm. and that's like that's really hard to do because it takes it takes a, like it mm-hmm. definitely takes a level of maturity but it also is um, difficult in such a large institution. Mm. But I think that that would be the way to go. And I think that it's a very human thing mm. to do, mm-hmm. to operate yeah. in that way. The university carried out a staff survey in the last year to understand sort of the environment of, mm. of the university for its staff members. And one of the key findings was that people feel that there is a lot wrong with the university. There's a lot of, they, they're not talking about problems mm. that come up. And I've seen this being met on numerous occasions by senior management as, well, why aren't you telling us? If you told us, we could do something. But they're not recognising the fact that there is a reason why people aren't telling you. Mm -hmm. You know, you create an anonymous way for Mm -hmm. people to say something and they will say something. And if they're not saying something before the anonymous option, then the reason is because they don't feel safe doing so. Um, And so that's another thing that university has to address. It's not up to those people that didn't feel safe saying something Mm -hmm. to say something. I think the university is so worried about its reputation that it's like, it's so worried about its reputation to the point where it damages the experiences of students from marginalized groups, where they're like, oh, we can't do this thing, like shut down this event that really harms the experiences or invalidates the experiences of trans and non-binary students and staff members here. But it's fine if we don't get any negative publicity for it. So it's completely fine. We'll let that go. And I think that idea of we need to accept the fact that certain things are bad at this university, that is the first step. Mm. It can't just be like, we'll do something to kind of gloss over like more of like an addition to something that already exists. We need to acknowledge and accept that certain things are just bad. But that then comes with the universe. It's like that classic thing around, I think particularly around um, anti-sexual harassment, sexual violence, kind of like... Um. um, Oh my God. campaigns and stuff like that where it's like a couple of years ago universities were really scared to take that on because they're like oh if we say that we're anti-sexual harassment and sexual violence it means that we're admitting that sexual harassment violence happens here and you're like what yeah. of i mean, course it's I mean you, here. this this was in this was in public knowledge and i will try like you can leave this in i don't care but like also i will try and make it sound s- supportive or <laughs> constructive um in the, my experience, <laughs> yeah, my experience um, uh, with, with engaging with the community more recently over the um, 
the scandal like you might have seen with the the comments from Ross Brain who was the manager at the gym um, mm. and the open letter that um, was sort of drafted and it, it was a lot of time and emotional labour for myself mm-hmm. and other students um, in really thinking this is a bad thing and this needs to change and why has nothing seemingly mm-hmm. outwardly been done or why have no consequences been communicated and the, the original response from the university to emails before the open letter to students um, have been it is at the same time a, a struggle even just in my head of where are things being done and things being said to keep bridges from burning and where is it important that as an institution you stand unequivocally for what you know to be the right principle and what you know to be the right course of action um, whether that means having different media coverage or whether that means admitting that you're wrong mm-hmm. I think that the university has begun to show a really positive engagement with change and a really positive attitude to taking on board criticism and growing but there is still so much to be done mm-hmm. and there are so many people willing to do it mm-hmm. and willing to help it just needs money and it needs people to listen and it needs the money to go to the right places and the mm. right people with the right intentions yeah um a few things i kind of want to pick up from um what rosie just said um for me there's something really interesting kind of bringing it back to the general discussion about diversity and inclusion and where universities go there's something about that business-minded pr mm. machine mm-hmm. reaction um, and I wonder, I'm completely just thinking out loud, but just thinking about the general political landscape that we're currently living in, in terms of things like um, transphobia and trans exclusion mm-hmm. and racism and other forms of discrimination that are, you know, the anti-migrant mm-hmm. um, sort of thing, all of, all of that. And the, the idea that universities are more concerned with public image. Mm-hmm. And I wonder in terms of pushing for diversity inclusion we talked about things like meritocracy and that massive sort of contradiction of what that mm-hmm. actually is meant to be about and i wonder whether at the heart of of t- issues about how we move forward there is something about the very fact that the university is operating as a business model and it's all about public image mm-hmm. and that actually there's a there's a resistance at that level mm-hmm. to wanting to be inclusive because yeah. that's not where politics is yeah. right now um the other thing mm-hmm. i wanted to pick up on was just thinking about engagement and the point at which students become engaged, that chicken and the egg thing, mm-hmm. um, that just came up. And for me, kind of thinking about my own research and looking at engagement with music education, one of our big issues with diversity, inclusion in music education is that by the time prospective students get to the point of applying, you've already got a fairly homogenous group in terms of what they've had access to because it relies largely on out-of-school experiences. Mm-hmm. So the levels of privilege required for people to even be able to apply for music mm-hmm. at university and conservatory level are sort of hugely um, stark mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. the general population. So for particularly in the music context, for me, the change starts from birth, from nursery, from primary school, mm-hmm. that that engagement with the subject has a huge knock on effect. And I don't know what this is like in other subjects. Obviously with STEM, mm-hmm. we've had the whole thing about our girls going on to go do sciences yeah. at university, etc. With music, it does go way, way, way back. And a lot of that disengagement comes from directly from what's concluded in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, generally thinking it's, it's, well, we can look at higher education curriculum review. There is a much bigger picture because the curriculum in higher education is meant to, or at least there's arguments that it should reflect a follow-on from what happens in schools and also join up to what happens after 
yeah. after mm-hmm. higher education. Mm-hmm. And there's there's real issues there for me around how do we create engagement on a wider level? Mm-hmm. Who is the engagement mm-hmm. for? To, to sort of, um, to bring it back to like diversity and inclusion, it's just, so I, part of um, my sort of like role this, this year within like the student association have been, um, I'm a lead coordinator of um, a peer support group and part of what we do across like the whole of STEM and the College of Science and Engineering is run like a weekly drop-in for students um, that just need someone to talk to mm. or um, want to come along and do an activity, want to have a chat, want to find out about the wellbeing services that we have and um, how they can access different things within the university and stuff come along too. And it's a really nice environment, but what you find disproportionately is that the students that are coming are um, students within a minority group. Um, students that are struggling with a mental illness, students that are LGBT, students that are people of colour, students that um, have come from single parent families or have come at a young age to university or have come from abroad. And I think that it's difficult because how is the university supposed to figure out how to make a change? How are people that want to help make a change? How are students and activists and academics that want to see something be different? How are they supposed to know where to start if the feeling that these students have of disengagement, disillusionment and just kind of sadness and, and isolation, if that's something that you can't pinpoint? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, and it, even with myself, like, and I, I know a lot about my community, I like to think. There's definitely more I could know. It always is. And, and sometimes I'm like, well, I feel this thing. Where's it coming from? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. There's something missing. There's something. Mm-hmm. And you can't put a word on it. And that's because it's so hard to see something that you've lived with your entire life that's been in the system. And I think it's, there's, a, there's a really good, like, cartoon, and it's like a, a fish saying that it, it's, really, it's really hard to see... Um, inequality if you're surrounded by it in the way that fish can't see water it doesn't know it's in water it's lived its whole life in water and I think that that's something that I and and so many others are going through is like it's uh, so ingrained Mm -hmm. and that's something that especially um, for students who are students of colour I think that the the university definitely isn't there yet with that Mm. Um, they don't measure those kinds Mm. of statistics properly they don't think about ways that they can further those relations especially if in the news it's not Mm. a pressing matter it's not on the front of people's brains in a positive way then it's really difficult and I think that a lot of the disengagement students dropping out students having really like a a crisis with their mental health students not continuing into higher education not taking up the opportunities they could have I think a lot of it comes back to this idea of like there's something missing you don't know what it Mm. is and it's definitely it's definitely comes back to this idea of like diversity and inclusion and there's no representation, there's no, where do I go from here? How am I going to do well? Um, and that's really, really tragic, yeah. yeah. I think you have any last I just, thoughts? Yeah, I'm just thinking in terms of the disillusionment angle and also thinking more widely beyond just Edinburgh University. This is not a unique problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm conscious of the fact that I've been do- doing a lot of drawing of parallels and I don't like to try over-equate things because I think then then often loses sense of the real issue and it can be offensive in some senses as well but if we're not careful if universities don't get their act together we're going to have the equivalent of a Greta Thunberg Mm. situation where it Mm. is the young people trying to you know stopping that stopping their Mm. lives to try and make change happen Mm. and getting the people in power to wake up and you know there's so much evidence of that already happening on us on on an individual scale Mm. you know these student groups that are organizing the fact that these voices have been shouting about this for years Mm. and not enough is being done that we will get to a point where where it is it is 
it has to be recognised as an endemic problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not, not unique to Edinburgh University, but there is enough going on here for them to take steps to mm-hmm. actually make change and be on the right side of history. Yeah. So with that, I'd just like to say thank you so much to um, the panelists. This has been an absolutely fantastic discussion. And I really, I think, touching on the ideas of... It's, it's just always, like, quite interesting when it's, like, when it's, like, a group of activists talking about these kinds of issues. And one of the main things that comes out of it is, like, institutions need to listen to... It's, mar- like, it's marginalised groups. And I think it's always... It's still quite frustrating that this is still, like, such a major talking point where it's, like, it's still not happening and it's so mm-hmm. exhausting. Um, and it's really hard to kind of be able to do this work within a system where we're not being listened to or not giving, like, the kind of, like, appropriate credit where we should be given and I think there's been a lot of interesting discussions particularly around the ideas of responsibility and where that kind of lies and how that responsibility can actually be used for positive so not necessarily taking credit for work that marginalized groups are doing to further inclusivity and diversity initiatives but rather it's about supporting and platforming those groups mm. the best way possible and, ma- and I think yeah it comes to, comes back to that idea where institutions need to accept that not everything is great all the time that people are having negative experiences and it's not about making personal apologies to a handful of people it's about changing these systems i think that's why like i'm sure we all agree that like a curriculum review that actually does embed inclusivity and diversity in like a meaningful way not necessarily just kind of like a pr move kind of way can have such a positive impact for the whole student and staff body so really hoping that that does come to fruition but yes thank you so so much to everyone thank you 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 for listening